Hey guys, welcome to the Cultivate and Keep podcast. I'm Jerry, Jeremy with my good friend Corey, and this is where we talk about what we are learning, what we are studying in God's Word, and what is new with our businesses. And today we have a super exciting guest that I'll let Corey bring on. Yeah, so today we have on Brent Bishore. Uh, I know Brent from Twitter mainly. Well, it's actually how I found Brent. But uh, Brent is the founder of Permanent Equities, the author of The Messy Marketplace. Uh, he's also the host of Capital Camp with uh, Patrick O'Shaughnessy, which I believe you guys just had uh, the first annual one since COVID, right? Um, so Brent, welcome. And can you tell us a little bit more about like what it is that you do? Like what's like the, the barbershop, you know, version and then what's like the real version of what you do? <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I like to tell people we, we buy boring businesses, um, hold them indefinitely, uh, partners, with leadership teams. I mean, we do private equity, but we do it in, a, I think, a much more redemptive way uh, than, than the norm. So try to push mm. boundaries on, on being kind and long term. What, um, just to pull that thread a little bit, like what do you mean in a redemptive way and sort of, uh, some people might not know some of the like negative connotations that come with private equity of sort of like, you know, business sharks and people <laughs> squeezing out profits and stuff like that. I, I know that a little bit, but can you talk about just, you know, your approach and how it differs from maybe some of the, the norms out there? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, so private equity has a, has a pretty bad reputation. I mean, it's, if, it were, if private equity is in the news, it's usually not a good thing. And uh, most often they're in the news because they uh, caused some company to go bankrupt because they bought them and loaded them up with a bunch of debt and uh, something you know didn't go exactly right and the business imploded and a lot of people lost their jobs and business had to be reconstituted you know, differently. So um, t- the norm for private equity is, is you buy a company, you load it up with a bunch of debt, you try to uh, improve things and uh, financially um, and for a short period of time and then you try to sell it to somebody else who will pay you a lot more money than what you bought the business for. So that's the kind of the short version of, of what private equity does. In many ways, we're the opposite of private equity in that way. I mean, we, we, we buy equity in private businesses, so we are technically private equity, but we buy with no intention of selling the business. Um, we rarely use debt in our transactions, and uh, we like to be long-term and treat people really well, compound relationships, um, and uh, in turn, compound capital. So we try to you know, create a win-win relationship, not just for the seller and the buyer, but also for the leadership teams, the employees, the communities, the customers, the vendors. Really try to think about how, how do we create wins for everyone. And um, in our opinion, that's the only way it's long-term sustainable. So, um, you know, and if you go back to biblical principles, I mean, I think that um, you know, God wants us to uh, focus on people for people, not as resources, right? I mean, I said recently that um, the best human resources policy is to t- treat people as humans and not as resources. Uh, and I think that extends to uh, the acquisition business. And I mean, what we're doing is we're providing liquidity to families that, that, that need it. And uh, we're helping transition these businesses between generations, which is, um, I think, a really important thing. Uh, I love what I do. Um, really grateful that, that I somehow fell backwards into it. I, I joke that I'm the force of private equity because uh, I've never <laughs> taken a finance class in my life and uh, um, I can barely open up Excel. I never worked in another firm and uh, literally I did my first private equity deal before realizing there was even an industry called private equity. Um, I joke that I accidentally bought a business which is as close to accidentally as you possibly can. So, well, weird, t- weird t- Tell us about that, yeah. really want to know kind of how, how it all started. How did you get into this? Yeah, how did it all start? Um, so I was getting uh, my law degree, my MBA at Mizzou. Uh, met my wife here, uh, who she was getting her PhD, and I dropped out uh, both programs to start a business. Um, did it for all the wrong reasons. Um, I was not a believer at the time, and uh, frankly, I was tired of school and arrogant and 
prideful and all the all the good stuff that you know any guy in their early 20s usually is and um yeah so i dropped out went terribly um the business didn't go great and uh then that led into starting another business which went what was the the business this was an event marketing firm. Um, so we partnered with ad agencies and, and you got to remember, so this is back in 2007. So like event marketing back then was, was like the hot thing. There's no social media. There's, there's, you know, like the, the web is still very nascent at that point. Um, and, uh, and so the hot marketing thing was event marketing. We did that. It was terrible. It was an awful business. And that though led in starting an ad agency, which did better. And then that led into having a, a mutual acquaintance say, hey, you should meet this guy who just got left at the altar for the second time. And I took that to mean I should try to go buy his business because why else would you tell me you've been left at the altar mm-hmm. for the second time? And so I uh, I don't know. You, I guess your audience can see me now. I, I, I'm 38. I probably look like I'm about 25. I looked like I was about 14 then. And <laughs> sat across the table from this guy and told him I wanted to try to buy his business. And he laughed at me and said, two grown men have tried to buy my business. Uh, you know, why in the world do you think that you'd be able to buy it? And I said, I don't know, I'll figure it out. And um, ultimately I got an SBA loan and uh, my, my wife and I, just we just gotten married and she said, what happens? You know, this personal guarantee thing that we're signing, like what happens if things don't go well? And I was like, it's not a good thing, you know, but we'll figure it out. Um, and uh, thankfully um, it went well and that led into um, opening my eyes that there were a lot of other families that needed to transition their businesses that didn't have a transition plan, didn't have a son or a daughter or you know relative that they wanted to pass it along to, and the people at the firm didn't have the resources to be able to do a management buyout, and so um, that really tipped me off that this is the direction we should go. It's hmm. interesting because um, I know that that's how it started, so I assume that that was mainly with sort of you got the SBA loans, meaning with your own money, your own drive. But then later on, it sort of became like, uh, like a fund with a team, and sort of now it's like yeah. a thing. What was what was that kind of transition from? Like, this is you know Brent's kind of not pet project, but this is Brent's you know own thing. To then, this is something bigger than Brent. Yeah, yeah. I guess we're kind of a thing now. Uh, I guess we're legit. I don't know. Um, we have uh, <laughs> I think so. Fifty million dollars of outside capital at this point. So um, I guess you know in 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 the world of private equity, we're still like the little guppy at the bottom of the fish tank that you know humps the scuba diver you know but but in the world of private <laughs> equity we're small um in 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 you know relative terms i guess we've gotten bigger but yeah when did it, it how did it transition it's transitioned slowly and haphazardly i would say um you know i it was it was one of those things where we just kept doing whatever made sense at the time and kept putting one foot in front of the other and um I mean, honestly, that's the truth. We didn't really have a plan, and we just kept trying to keep things moving forward. Was the the kind of like impetus then that you needed just more capital to go deploy to more businesses and sort of um, like realize the potential of it, uh, or it just felt like this is the this is what you do? Like, if you want to go out and do this more, then that's really the only means necessary. That's a great question. I mean, for us, it just felt natural. We had more opportunities than we had capital. I mean, when you, even if you're doing well, which we were, you know, financially uh, doing great, uh, by the time you fund, you know, working capital and a growing business and you pay a lot of taxes, um, not that you Californians would know about taxes at all, but, uh, <laughs> you know, it, 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 it really eats into cash flow. And so, um, you know, what, what I, way we thought about it um, was just that we wanted to be able to do more of what we were, we felt called to do. And what we felt called to do was to serve these families and serve the teams that, that, that we're getting involved in. And 
um, that we could do that at much greater scale and we were capable of more. And so I always think about it as like, there's three things that you need in this business. You need opportunities, you need capital and you need people. And um, we had lots of opportunities and we felt like we had the talent, we had the people. And so we were lacking capital. And so go out and try to solve for that problem. We did so in a very unusual way. We raised, um, uh, you know, our, our capital base. So, so what allows us to be different than traditional private equity, I think this is something we should at least gloss over is um, that, that our investors give us their capital for three decades. Um, so we don't have to buy with an intention of selling because our investors don't expect us to sell. Now, it doesn't mean we hmm. can't sell and it doesn't mean we will never sell, but we're not forced to sell. And we think that's a, a superior way to run uh, a business for sure. And then um, the way we run our fees is that um, our investors pay no fees of any type um, other than we share in a percentage of free cash flow after we've made an investment and after we've returned that capital back to the investors. Hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, to, to the best of my knowledge, uh, which is not very much in the private equity world, but normally there's like a sort of like a fund cycle where it's usually like what five to 10 years. And so investors say, okay, I'm willing to lock up my money for this much. And I'm, you know, a, a good return is a three X return, um, or something like that. Right. Or they'll at least be happy to get their money back in full. But when you're talking about locking up money for 30 years, um, and returning, you know, some sort of money back to them or generating uh, a good return on investment. What did that, what was that conversation like? Um, did it take talking to the right type of people who are interested in that or um, educating sort of evangelizing that method of more this long-term mindset? Yeah, I mean, it was hard. Most people laughed at us and said, heck no. Um, in fact, we had one guy who said, uh, are you kidding me? In 30 years, I'll be dead and you'll be on your third marriage and you'll have, you know, you'll be spending time with your stepkids in between vacation homes and heck no, I'm not giving you my money for 30 years. And my response to that was that seemed oddly specific, but um, fair enough and uh, appreciate the feedback. I guess that we'll take that as a no. Um, so yeah, right. I mean, we, look, we, we selected for a group of investors that believe in the long-term mission and, and um, you know, have been, have been fantastic. I mean, I think that we've avoided a lot of the pitfalls of uh, taking outside capital largely because of the structure that we created. And, and I mean, in some ways we can kind of force virtue um, is the way we think about it. I mean, if you force everyone into a structure that is very virtuous, um, then you know you don't allow people to, to go sideways. Hmm. Um, Jeremy and I have a bunch of questions around yeah. business stuff, very specifics. But I also wanna know, how did you come to Christ? Uh, and I know that you've sort of had a, a journey from uh, atheism and you know an interesting background and you had mentioned before even when you I think you like sort of got into the business quote-unquote you were not a Christian back then so what was your journey like uh, coming to Christ and um, sort of being born again yeah my journey was uh, kicking and screaming um, <laughs> and uh, trying to uh, resist at every turn <laughs> I mean I look if, if I can become a believer I I mean God can do anything um, I mean I, I have no way to explain my faith other than um, God rescued me and uh, brought me out of the slimy pit and put my feet on a firm rock. Um, I mean, when I read Psalms I, and I you know, hear David using words like that, uh, it really resonates because I, I have no way to explain it any other way. Um, yeah, I was, I mean, I was living for myself. I, I was in my late 20s, uh, was married, and uh, this is pre-kids. Um, but I mean, from the outside looking in, I had a, a, a great life. I mean, beautiful wife who loved me and... Uh, um, plenty of money and success in business and won awards and all that all that jazz and I was just miserable um, and um, 
God rescued me. God started putting people in my life who were just different. I don't know how to I mean, describe it in the sense of like, they just seemed different. They had a different energy to them. Um, they were, they were so confident and calm and peaceful and they were excited about the world and everything just seemed brighter. And, uh, I started getting to know them. I'm like, well, what do you have that I don't? And they started telling me about Jesus and I was like, Oh, you've got to be kidding me. You're one of those people. Come on. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, slowly but surely they, uh, were, were able to nudge me in a direction that I think that, that, you know, my pride um, without the Holy Spirit, I mean, there's no way I would have gotten there. My pride was just had so overrun me. But um, they kept telling me, you should challenge your atheism in the same way you challenge your, your you know, our Christianity, our faith in Jesus. Um, and until that, I really hadn't done that. I mean, I'd, I'd say religion in college, I'd say philosophy. I felt like I was pretty, pretty you know, learned. Um, but I just really hadn't thought about the implications of, you know, where does my morality come from? Where is, why, why is there beauty and meaning and um, what is justice? Um, I, I just really hadn't examined those things. And I just had uh, been so discipled by the world um, that I had just made kind of these leaps and assumptions. And when I started stripping all that back, I started realizing like I didn't have a foundation for my life. And that was largely why I felt such an incoherence. Um, I had no idea how to make decisions. I had no idea why to do things. Um, and um, slowly but surely, I mean, I, I kind of, my, my, um, my view towards Jesus went from kind of extreme disbelief, uh, almost you know, being an antagonist. Um, you know, I can relate to Paul, to Paul in many ways. I mean, I wasn't murdering Christians, thankfully, um, but I was, uh, you know, I was certainly making fun of them, and I was uh, antithetical uh, to to the mission of Jesus. And I would say over time, it became kind of like lightly plausible to maybe this is a toss up to probable to then a faith and trust in and reliance upon. And, um, you know, I'm still trying to obey. Um, but you know, it's a, it's not dead religion. It's a following of living God. So, um, it's been amazing. I, I'm so grateful. That's I think really you cool. mentioned maybe on, on Twitter before that, uh, everyone has a different sort of, um, maybe like origin or sort of like base, depending on their personality and who they are and sort of some of your faith uh, was kind of derived from like this intellectual perspective uh, rather than like a emotional or like very like um, quote unquote spiritual encounter. Um, is that true or could you kind of expand on that a little bit based on um, how that lands? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I, so yeah, I think everyone comes to it differently based on how God's wired them. I mean, I, um, I wasn't able to have the hard experience. I mean, I don't think, look, I don't think you come to faith through through intellectualism. Um, and I think there's a real danger in um, the fact that I still to this day would like to learn about God more than to sit with God and be with God. And I think that's a, that, that even, even learning about God, I mean, I spent two years taking seminary classes and realized at the end of those two years, I dropped out because I was like, I think I'm sinning by going to seminary um, because I wanted to learn more about God than I wanted to be with God. And I feel like that, um, achieving and accomplishing. I mean, this is where I'm again, Paul, uh, you know, being the Pharisee of Pharisees, like I, I have a draw towards that. I have a desire to be the, the best, to be the leader of, to, you know, to, to learn the most and do the most. And I mean, that is antithetical to the, the gospel, right? I mean, it is, it is about resting in the finished work, right? Done, but not yet, um, of Jesus. And so, um, I was able to have, um, certainly a heart change, and um, it, it happened slowly, and then I, you know I've had some obviously some some spiritual highs and moments, and and really felt a closeness and and uh, 
you know, felt an otherworldly presence at times. Um, but I had, you know, in order to, I think, allow me to get there, I had to be open to it. And, and in order to be open to it, I had to, um, I had to have a lot of my atheism destroyed first. Um, and, and in order to be able to then build on sort of the foundation that, that may, maybe I'm not as smart as I thought I was, and maybe we don't have everything figured out. And maybe that, um, you know, we, we might need God, um, who, who knew. Um, so. Um, when you came to know the Lord, that, did that have any immediate effect on your businesses and how you ran things? Oh, heck yeah. Oh my gosh. Uh, I mean, it was, it was like a freight train went through my life. I mean, I, um, um, I mean, it's, it's, it's such a slow, well, it's in some ways it's immediate, right? In some ways it's a slow process. It's, it's kind of both. And I would say the immediate was I started looking around me and saying, okay, what am I, what am I doing? Do I actually, if I actually believe this and like, what am I trying to gain? What am I striving towards? And what am I trying to achieve? And then the nuance of it that takes a long time is what does it look like to actually live in freedom? What does it actually look like to uh, love and serve others, to love God and to, and, to, and to love your neighbor? Like, what does it actually look like for to, 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 be, to have self-forgetfulness? I mean, this is the this is the challenge. I'm, I'm still battling this. I mean, I, I am bad. I'm raging right now in battle on that front. And uh, every day my heart wants to go towards gain. Every day my heart wants to go towards striving and achieving and um, building up me. Uh, and, and, and I feel like I'll live forever. And now I'm almost yeah. 40. So, you know, I'm starting to feel less and less like I'll live forever based on this body. <laughs> but, um, but no, I mean, it's, it's a hard thing. And, and I think that I'm learning all the time, you know, in business, you're taught, especially in the investment business, everyone's there to serve you, right? Yeah, I'm the founder and the CEO and the owner of the firm. Um, we have achieved success. I have more resources than I ever thought I would. Um, the temptations of the world are, are, are amplified. And yeah. if I don't drag myself to the cross every day, I mean, I'm, I'm going to get nuked. Um, yeah. And some days I do. Some days I, I have a tough time praying and something interrupts me and, and I don't, um, you know, I don't uh, recenter on what matters. And I'll burn through my day and live for myself, and it's a nasty thing. And I get to the end of the day, and I feel anxious and tired and frustrated. And uh, I can walk in the house, and my wife will be like, "What happened? Are you okay?" And I'm like, <laughs> "I don't know. Am I? Am I okay? Is everything okay?" Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, yeah, that, I don't know. Man. That was one of my questions. Like, as your gain increases, as like wealth and success continues to compile, how like how how do you manage that? And how does that affect your walk with God? And um, I was I was talking with, the, with someone the other day, and he was basically saying like you can't have abundance in your life, you can't have more than you need, and still remain humble. And he firmly believed that, and I disagree. I was like, well, like, but I just I disagree with that. But I'm curious for you how you, uh, you know, manage the the growth, but also stay connected with God, and basically expand on what you were just saying. <laughs> Gosh, man, I hope your friend's not right. Um, I. I, <laughs> I uh, he may be right. I don't know. I, I, I mean, this is an active journey. I would say is um, how do you guard your heart against that? I mean, look, I'm in the business of worshiping money. I mean, literally, mm-hmm. the investment business is is taking money, turning into more money. I mean, that's that's basically what everyone in the investment business does. Um, and and I'm well aware of all the warnings. I mean, there's far more warnings against the the love of money than there is against sex or you know some sort of. Uh, you know, anger, even self-righteousness in some ways. I mean, money is the most warned about thing in the Bible. And I think for a very good reason, because when you have um, an abundance, it, it, your heart naturally drifts away from God. No one becomes more holy by accident. 
I mean, no one. But let me tell you, no one in the investment business for sure becomes more holy by accident. And, um, you know, I, uh, it's something I battle every day. I mean, I would say is the antidote, I think, is to drag yourself back to the cross to remember that you're a steward and that God's giving you resources to steward, not for your gain, um, but for the, for the kingdom. Uh, I think that giving it away is a, is a, is a great way to, to cleanse your heart and, and not to earn God's love. Of course, that's not what we believe. We don't believe that, you know, I don't think that because I give more, God loves me more. And I don't think if I didn't give it all, God would love me less. Um, that's not the gospel. Um, but it is for my benefit and to live out um, in the world. I mean, it's joyful to give. I mean, it, when I get myself into a position where we can, my, you know, my wife and I start writing checks bigger than we could ever dream of to uh, organizations we believe in to see kids rescued out of slavery to see um you know people in in desperate need get help um feels great feels great to get to participate with god i mean i feel like that you know when i when i read genesis and i hear about you know uh adam and eve walking in the garden right with god i feel like some some days i get a glimpse of that it's like you know i get to walk hand in hand i get to co-create um and that's a blast and what a gift um so i you know i feel like that um you know, I have a, there's some missionary friends of ours that we support uh, in Guatemala, and I remember he came back home, and we were having coffee, and it had been a really tough time. They had, you know, had a horrible volcanoes erupt, and uh, just a lot of death and disease, and it was just a, it was a horrible time. I mean, it's always a tough time in Guatemala. It was a particularly tough time, and he came back, and, and I started asking him all kinds of questions. He goes, oh, no, 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 brother, brother, we need to talk about you, and I said, talk about me like i'm well fed obviously um you know i am uh you know i'm doing great he goes are you how's your heart and i was like oh i mean you know i'm hard he goes man i pray for you all the time he's like i we're not the ones who need help i mean you need help and so i think there's there's something to that right i mean it's the you know in in guatemala he said like no one no one thinks they don't need the lord in guatemala everyone knows they need help in the united states and when you're when you look on the, in the wealthier end of, of, of a, the wealthiest country, the most abundance in the history of the world, um, it is default to stray and to pleasure yourself and to distract yourself and to, um, yeah, to, to, to go down the path of the world. So how, how do I guard against it? I fear and trembling. <laughs> Stay on my knees. That's about the only way I can. I don't know. And I mm-hmm. fail with that most yeah. days. So. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, well, oh. Corey, I'm not sure if you have any more on this, but. Yeah, I was just curious, actually. I mean, I, I feel like I love the examples of sort of things that you were giving to or supporting. I was just wondering if you had uh, any others that you could just share just as an example of things you love, care about, um, cool ways that God's moving and, uh, and you know, things that you personally care about. Yeah, it's a great question. Um, yeah, I don't. So we do everything anonymously. Um, so I'll give kind of broad, hmm. um, broad categories. Um, so we... My wife, actually, this is one that we're, we're not anonymous on. So my wife sits on the board of Covenant College in Lookout Mountain, Georgia. Um, and, um, I, I, you know, I'd never been there prior to her taking me. It's an unbelievable place. And so that's something that she um, she gives a lot to. We give a lot to. We try to be really supportive and we intend to, to really try to see a flourishing happen there amongst um, college-age kids and send them out into the world to, um, to be in the world, um, to be, you know, um, uh, help influence the world in a positive way. We support a number of things in uh, Columbia here, Columbia, Missouri, where we live. Um, we support a, a prison transitional ministry, um, which is just hmm. uh, unbelievable flourishing. Um, we support a, a very innovative orphanage uh, program, uh, and um, and then we you know support different different missionaries, and we support a uh, an, a not for profit that is called Love Columbia that um, 
uses crisis to develop relationships with people and, and walk with them up and out of uh, hardship. And so that's been another uh, another thing that we've supported. Um, we support a number of other things, but those are kind of some some major ones. And um, I don't know. We're always trying to figure out how to serve people well. Uh, I think if you all have read the book Helping Hurts, um, it's a great book. It's called When Helping Hurts. Um, I would highly encourage anybody who uh, I would say has, has significant means and is is intending to do good with those means. It would be a really great book uh, to to read, and um, it's actually written by a couple of Covenant College professors um, on the topic of what does it mean to give well and to to help people and not harm them. And I think that we've you know we've gone through periods of time where I think we've given better than others, and we're trying to be really thoughtful around how do we how do we give well um, and make a good impact. That's cool. All right, well, we have a ton of questions along the lines of business. So let's uh, fire away. Go to Honestly, so some many. of those. Yeah, uh, dude, I've, we've been really excited to have you on. So I am. Um, I have uh, bought in two companies so far in my career, and I've invested in a third one. And then Corey has some things he's working on as well. Um, so hearing your story is like super fascinating to us, and we both are really excited about this. So let's. I feel like now we're starting the podcast. <laughs> um, but I, I have several questions. I'm going to rapid fire them. But one of them was, how do you guys go about finding deals? Well, we have been really lazy. Um, so laziness and, uh, and, and prayer these days seem to be the, the primary path. Um, we <laughs> write things that go on podcasts like this, um, and people seek us out. Um, so um, we get inbound. Um, people show us things, and we say no to almost everything, and occasionally <laughs> we think it's interesting and, and pursue it. Um, Long term, I don't know if that's the best strategy. I, like I said, I mean, feel it feels like a lazy strategy. Um, honestly, it's it's really hard for us. We've we've tried to put together some outbound programs and just have never gotten the traction that we thought we would. Um, and I think that I mean, we can talk about why, but people are busy and distracted, and everyone else is saying the same things, and it's very hard to differentiate yourself. Yeah, and so, yeah. you know, a way for us that we can be differentiated is when a trusting relationship that that person has says, "Hey, you should meet these people." I think they're a little bit different. They've got a different capital structure. They've got a different uh, mentality. Um, you know, I, it, that jumps us to the front of the line. So um, we like that a lot more. How about when you first started? Because you mentioned you guys had lots of opportunities. So, like, how how did it just start out that way? Oh, I mean, yeah. When when we were starting out, I mean, I, look, I think um, venture capital is always about ten to fifteen years ahead of private equity. So I just looked at what all the venture capitalists were doing, and they were writing blogs, and they were going on podcasts, and I said, well, that seems reasonable. Um, I, you know, I mean, why not? And so, you know, literally, that's. I mean, we're just a bunch of people in Columbia, Missouri, buying businesses. Like the fact that people know us and like we have a reputation blows my mind. Um, uh, so anyway, so yeah, we just started doing the things that they were doing and turns out they were doing them because they were smart and they were doing them because they work and it takes a long time for it to compound, but you know, it works. Why, I mean, how did you all find me? Right. How, why am I on this yeah. podcast? It's the exact same yeah. stuff. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, what are some key things that you look for when you're hiring an operator? I, you know, I've been reading a little bit on your Twitter and uh, your website, but you kind of talked about like what makes a good deal and basically uh, kind of what a deal is getting a an asset for a good price or a discounted price and then having a room to improve it and you know put someone in place to to run the company how, how do you go about finding that and um, yeah finding people well I would say is maybe to correct you on one point I don't think we are buying at a discounted price I mean so uh, no one no one is is selling us their business because they think they're selling it to us at a discount they think that they're getting a good deal 
and they think they're selling it to us for a fair price. Um, and we certainly lose out on a lot of opportunities because somebody else is willing to pay considerably more than we are. So, um, but I would say is we're, we're paying a market clearing price for the deals that we do. Um, the trick is to find what, what makes a good deal is to find uh, an asymmetry between what you think you could do with it, between the risk and the reward and the price you're paying. And so, you know, all things being equal, yeah, cheaper's better. Um, mm -hmm. But, um, you know, where we really, I think, have seen flourishing is what happens post-close with these companies. How do we create a more robust uh, leadership team, add skills to the team? How do we um, remove some risk factors that may be, um, you know, that may be present? There are always, I mean, there's no business that has, you know, is making three, four, five, six million dollars a year of earnings. Um, is doing everything right. There's no way. Um, we've never even seen anything come close to it. In fact, most of the time you're doing one thing right and that's probably just the thing that you do for your customers. And everything else is is, is usually, I mean, I, I joke it's businesses are loosely functioning disasters that happen to make money. Um, <laughs> and I, I, I've never believed that's more true than today. And I mean, look, there's a lot of, um, you know, there's a lack of redundancy, there's a lack of skill sets, there's, there's, there's a lack of talent in a lot of these companies. And so, what we try to do is we try to find a situation where we like the people and we feel like we can be um, thoughtful and kind partners long term for them and then go to work with them and try to help bring resources to the table. And sometimes that's just in you know thought partnerships. Sometimes that's in recruiting talent. Sometimes that's in um, exploring new, new partnerships and relationships. It just depends on the situation. Do you guys try to work with the existing team in place or do you oftentimes have to replace people and, and bring new hires in? Well, the answer is yes and yes. Um, I mean, look, people get sick and die and preferences change and I mean, life happens, right? So you're always going to have to um, be bringing outside people in every business, regardless of where the owners or not have to bring outside people in. Um, so that's just an inevitable part of, of a sustainable business strategy long term. I would say um, we much more prefer to work with the existing team on, on at least a period of transition. And what we try to say is, look, no surprises. So we'll be honest with you about kind of how we think about that transition going. You be honest with us about if you like that plan or not. Let, let's co-create that and then let's you know, decide to, to go down that path together. And not to say life doesn't change. I mean, we've had people get cancer and we've had, you know, Gosh, we've had all, all the stuff. <laughs> I mean, looking year to year, it's it's um, it's amazing how much how protected we've been, but also you know what we've gone through, and so um, we just try to be honest and, 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 and thoughtful towards the people that, that we work with, and you know don't try to surprise them, and we ask that they don't surprise us. Hmm. What about? Um, I assume that largely uh, each sort of business has a CEO and is and sort of like entirely independently. Uh, operated. So what are the like, I don't know if you can talk a little bit about, like the incentives of, uh, of staying, I don't know, structuring compensation, like someone selling the business. Is it usually always like there's already a CEO who's not the founder in place? Uh, or if so, you know, they're transitioning out, you have to go and find an outside CEO is, is that someone, uh, you know, compensated usually with equity or with cash or is that type of person sort of a unicorn or going from the bottom up. I don't know how you, how you approach sort of um, the incentives with, you know, finding the right people in the right places. Yeah, no, that's a great question. I mean, I, I would say there's no magic to this. Like we're trying to, to, to feel like, you know, what's fair in the situation. What's, what's generous in the situation. We want to feel people to be taken care of. Um, 
ultimately try to you know get past money as quickly as we can because as you know we all know i mean money's not going to make you happy more money's not going to make you happier um we want people to be able to take care of their families and send their kids to college and and uh, want people to share in the fruits of their labor i mean that's a that's a very biblical principle um and but, but beyond that i mean like it, money's the least interesting thing um is what i would say the incentives are look we, if we want to incentivize somebody to stick around and we're worried about that we incentivize them and through long-term equity grants through um, profit sharing through i mean whatever the you know there's a lot of tools in the toolbox um you know what it looked like practically for most people is some combination of base bonus and some equity participation you know just depends on the situation sometimes sometimes we grant it sometimes people buy in sometimes um it's for a little, sometimes it's for a lot. Sometimes we ask the sellers to roll forward a lot. Sometimes we ask them to roll forward none. I mean, like, it's just all how do you set the table well for the future success of the business with the best interest of the business in mind. Hmm. So what does is, what is your day-to-day look like uh, as sort of like the overseer uh, slash owner slash you have like your you know team that I assume is sort of shared resources between the portfolio companies as well um and also curious if you can touch on maybe i don't know some COVID war stories and like what that looked like day to day as well yeah you know maybe just some like variety of what day to day looks like to you yeah well so um we have a like a you know as, as we joked earlier like we're kind of legit now like we have a legit team and everyone on the team is more talented than i am in their area of expertise so functionally i'm kind of useless um i mean I, I at least i'm trying to be um and i think that's that's the, the opportunity to never have to be working in the business ever but always having the ability to work on the business i think is a really great way to to go about building a, a durable uh, organization so um what does my day-to-day look like it looks different every day um sometimes I'm, i i try to leave a, a big chunk of my calendar open for um, fires that pop up and places where I can where I can jump in and help. Um, sometimes that makes me feel lazy. Sometimes I feel like if I didn't have that, I'd be you know running from one thing to another or having to cancel. I try not to cancel on people. I try to be try to be reliable. Um, and so um, yeah, I mean I'm trying to I'm, I'm thinking through you know where could we go? Trying to be innovative and creative on on new approaches. I mean we've been I think a hallmark of permanent equity has been that we've been willing to go out there and kind of do things that other people haven't and in a way that other people haven't. And I think we'd like to continue that. So, um, I mean, I focus on a lot of that. I focus on a lot of the, um, talent recruitment, trying to be helpful and, and thoughtful about how we bring people on board and, and how we incentivize them. Certainly. Um, I'm involved in the deal making process. Um, you know, I, I like designing, designing the table, right. Uh, setting the table for, for post-close and, uh, and then, you know, deals are hard. And, um, you know, the joke in the private equity business, you got to lose a deal three times before you can close it. And certainly, uh, you know, we, we typically have some challenges, um, you know. And so get involved in helping, helping make things right, I think is always a, a, a good use of time. So hmm. um, I don't know if that answered your question, but I'm, I mean, it, every, it's kind of weird. Everything's different. Do you feel like you're on a emotional roller coaster all the time? I just can't imagine like fires are popping up, there's deals that are popping up or they're, yeah. you know, seem lost or, um, has that been sort of something that you've, uh, battled or just kind of feels natural to like be in the trenches and, you know, constantly <laughs> figuring out how to solve problems and put out fires? I mean, I would say if, if I didn't have my faith, I'd be a disaster. 
Um, I think this is where, I mean, when I'm at my worst, I am feeling like it's all about me and I'm a really smart guy and I'm going to try to make things happen. And, um, you know, uh, I can't believe that person did that. And, you know, how dare they, that, you know, that sort of mentality. Um, when I'm at my best, I'm, I'm on my knees and relying upon the Lord to guide and lead. And I know that, I mean, I'm called to just put my best effort forward, uh, work hard, pray hard, rest hard. Um, I get into a good rhythm and I mean, look, things happen. Um, you got to deal with them. This is, this is life. I mean, we are, we are post fall, right? Thistles and thorns everywhere. Um, and there's also beauty in it and there's opportunity. I mean, I think that, you know, I try to talk about this on the team a lot, but every, every time there's a, there's a, a problem, it's an opportunity, right? To help get involved with people and show them a better way. And I think that, um, I fail at this all the time, but I try to, you know, try to just remember that God's in control. And I'm not, I mean, I don't know how to say it. Um, as soon as I try to feel like I'm in control, things don't go well. Um, when I rely upon the Lord and um, try to just lean into His understanding, and I, you know, I think that's where um, things go far better. I mean, it turns out there's a there's a grain to the universe, and uh, I just want to go go with the grain. So, hmm. um, one thing I feel like we've like massively overlooked, and probably should have brought up earlier, is just like the types of businesses that you guys uh, buy mm -hmm. and own and operate. You mentioned earlier it was boring businesses. Uh, so I was wondering if you could just like share some examples of um, businesses that you guys own and operate. Yeah. Uh, and also, I know I know you have some interesting COVID stories of just like what it was like <laughs> going through the trenches of a few of those. Um, and so maybe that can kind of uh, be a good sort of fodder for how to bring up some of these businesses and what it was like going through the trenches with them. Yeah, so we, we, we have quite the eclectic mix of, uh, of, of companies. So we, we own the nation's largest swimming pool builder, a couple manufacturers in that space, um, backyard products company, uh, two aerospace businesses, um, the highest in matchmaking firm in the world. We own the largest custom picture frame manufacturer in the country. Um, we own a couple uh, uh, construction firms, uh, waterproofing, glass and glazing. Um, we own a military recruitment firm. So, it's, I mean, it's, a, it's, a, it's eclectic. Um, yeah, war stories. I mean, gosh, where do we start? Um, I mean, aerospace business, we had people telling us that they weren't going to pay us and they weren't sure when they were going to pay us. Um, you know, we had, um, I mean, you know, people getting sick and trying to do the best we can to keep people safe. Uh, I mean, you know, our matchmaking business is, you know, literally making physical introductions to people, which during COVID, uh, you can imagine was uh, maybe not the most ideal setup. Um, you know, dealing with government stuff and lockdowns. And I mean, it's just, it, it, it goes on and on and on. I mean, in terms of war stories, it was every day battling, um, you know, f feeling like you were, you were on the front lines fighting. Right. And we, I mean, in the, in the depths of it, uh, we were on the phone, somebody from our team, it, the rule was somebody from our team once a day has to be on the phone with every single one of our companies. Hmm. And we're doing cash planning. We're doing uh, stress testing. You know, I joke that our backup plans had backup plans. Um, you know, we, uh, we were just trying to be as, as responsible and reliable as we possibly could. And we said, we, you know, we will jump in, we will do anything to help these companies survive. And, um, they did, you know, and I uh, praise the Lord. And I mean, we, things, you know, obviously could always go better, but things, you know, overall went, went pretty well. Um, and I think it validated our model in terms of the sustainability of these businesses and durability. I mean, there's a big question mark for a lot of our, you know, especially larger institutional investors around, um, you know, the durability of the asset class in the case of a downturn, right? Everyone looks like a genius when things are going going up and to the right. Hmm. Um, how do things look when they're not? 
And so, um, you know, we just try to be good partners and be long-term and thoughtful and try to, you know, in our aerospace business example, we uh, went on a hiring spree because we were the only people who had cash because we didn't have any debt. Turns out when you don't have debt, you can do a lot of things other people can't do. Um, and again, I think it's biblical. I think it's, you know, I'm not saying there's anything, I, shouldn't say, I, should, I should be careful with how I phrase it. There's nothing, there's nothing against debt, right? Debt can be very useful. It's a tool. I think when it's abused in the pursuit of more money, um, I think that that is um, unhelpful. When it's used to promote growth and to um, help a company flourish, fantastic. Um, I think it's widely used not for that purpose, though. Um, and so for us, we think that the ability to have discretion over our cash flows and, and a, lot of, um, uh, a lot of abundance in our companies, we think is a very good thing to encourage um, you know, a type of relationship and a, and a long-term thinking that we think is very helpful. Yeah. I mean, I, I can't even imagine sort of what it was like for, I mean, about 18 months. It feels like now we're maybe just sort of coming out the other side of it. Uh, hopefully, fingers crossed, we can make it through the holidays here and <laughs> things uh, stay relatively sane and okay. Um, were there any like big takeaways or things that you feel like you learned uh, through COVID and through working with the businesses that was sort of like a, a newfound realization or something you took away that you didn't know or... Uh, hopefully get a real grasp on before then. Yeah, I mean, I, I keep learning humility. And I think that's something in, in COVID that we learned over and over again. If you'd asked me what businesses were going to perform and what businesses weren't and where were we going to have problems, I would have just gotten it completely wrong. Um, I would have guessed the businesses that, that did great wouldn't have done great and vice versa. And so it's just a matter of, um, you know, taking what comes and, and putting yourself in a position where, you know, have lots of redundancies with you know have the humility to, to to realize that you don't know the future and that many more things happen than than will happen um and just 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 acknowledge it <laughs> so i think for us it just reinforced a lot of our strategy which is i mean we look at lack of debt as a as a, as a form of humility um and because if you know exactly what the future holds you just lever up to the moon right and you're you you maximize your equity returns so um i think that you know was was reinforcing our business model and served as well it's funny i think uh it's easy for like guys like me and Corey to look at you and think you have it all figured out and it's all like a set plan but i feel like every question we've asked you it's very much been like go with the flow go with the grain like kind of you know as you go discover and figure out new things which is cool i think it uh makes things more attainable for guys like Corey and i it makes us feel a little bit better about where we're at you know i mean no one has it figured out certainly not us yeah um mm -hmm. no one and if anybody tells you they haven't figured out they they don't i mean they're mm -hmm. they're 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 posturing um now i mean i think we've learned some things and we've learned some things the hard way we've paid some some expensive tuition um so i think that they're you know experience does matter but i would say uh if if you're not gaining humility with experience then you're probably doing it the wrong way that actually reminds me, I had a question for you. What, um, do you have any examples of like a deal that's gone really bad or, you know, like a one you've learned a ton from just going, going sideways? Yeah. Every deal we've ever done has gone sideways. Um, <laughs> like, like, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not being facetious. Yeah, yeah. I'm, you know, long term. I mean, our returns have been fantastic, but in the short term, you never know what you're really buying and you're always buying into, uh, 20, 30, 50 years of problems and baggage and, um, deficiencies. And so um, I, literally there's no deal we've ever done where things have gone great after close. Uh, we've always had stumbles and challenges and sometimes it's people related, sometimes it's um, contractual, sometimes it's 
you know, risks that we didn't know were there. Um, but again, all of them are opportunities, right? I mean, this is where having the humility to buy at a, at a reasonable price and not assuming that everything's going to go great. I mean, the, the price to perfection thing is, is also a form of pride. I mean, I, 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 I'm not saying that sort of jokingly. I mean, I, I think that our um, willingness to watch others overpay, at least in our opinion, is also a form of humility. And we have to have a lot of um, margin of safety um, post-close because we just know at this point, we know we're buying a bunch of problems. We just don't know what those problems are. And um, no seller, and I'm not saying that they're deceptive. I'm not saying the leadership team is deceptive. They don't even know a lot of the stuff's there. And then you, you, know, you turn around, and you're like, what is that? And they're like, oh yeah, we forgot to tell you about that. Or Oh, it's not that big a deal, and you're like, well, it seems like a big deal, and then you know, you tell them kind of why you think it's a big deal, and they're like, oh, we didn't ever think about it that way, because that is a big deal, you know, and and so, you know, oftentimes you're bringing a new perspective and a new set of um, skills to evaluate the situation. It's going to turn over a lot of things and cause. There's something about a transaction that causes chaos, and that chaos exposes um, anything shaky in the foundation, and there's always shaky things in the foundation. Do you have a sense for what the like common uh, opportunities are in a business? Uh, the ones that you like to buy, right? These sort of boring businesses, uh, local businesses, um, sort of uh, you know heartland of America type businesses. Is it? Um, I won't put words in your mouth, but what are the common challenges that you encounter? Um, one, so we can sort of satiate our curiosity, but also two, so people get an idea of also like what not to do or what you can sort of, you know, build a business better to be, you know, to be a better asset later on. Yeah. I mean, I would say that it always starts, I mean, let's back up maybe 30,000 foot views, you know, businesses are nothing more than, than collections of people trying to achieve a common goal. Right. So if you if you take a whole bunch of uh, messy, sinful people and you slam them together and you try to get them to do something, um, turns out it's going to be a mess. So like that should just be your default assumption. I would say is what are the things that uh, we see that are common problems? You know, in every organization, there's going to be politics and pride issues. And um, one of the things we try to really work hard on presenting ourselves as a model, um, but also encouraging in the companies is a humility around intellectual honesty. So, you know, what's a good idea? What is it not? Who has the judgment? Who doesn't? Um, you know, why are we trying to do what we're doing and how are we getting there? And so what I would say is, you know, the, the, the most common challenge is not keeping the main thing the main thing. Like, you know, certainly there's businesses that, um, you know, you, you want to constantly be kind of pushing the boundaries on, but a lot of the businesses, like we know what we do, we want to do well, like execute well, don't take anything for granted, like just back to basics. Um, and you'd be shocked at how infrequent that attitude is. Um, and, and, you know, I would say is the second thing would just be a humility around lack of skill set. I mean, we, you know, we've come into a number of situations where the people running the company are like, I'm amazing. Everyone's amazing. We have the best team. We have, we don't need anything from anybody. It's like, really? Because it looks like that's not going well and that's not going well and that's not going well. And um, they're like, well, yeah, sure. But I mean, we're the best. It's like, well, that's not an attitude that's helpful. Um, and so, you know, really working on um, showing people a better path, showing people a better way and, um, you know, adding skill sets to the table that don't know is possible. I mean, every small business is terrible at fill in the blank sales, marketing, um, you know, technology, uh, we can talk about why, uh, you know, operations management, HR, um, 
benefits. I mean, I, it, it runs again at taxation, cash flow management, finance, I mean, accounting, all those things, right? And, and they're, they're rad at them because they don't know any better. Um, and so, you know, why don't they know any better? Because if you're really, really talented as an accountant, you don't work in small business. And if you're really, really talented as an accountant, you don't, you don't service small businesses. I mean, if you, you know, big accounting firms, the ones that are like really prestigious, they don't work with small companies. Well, why not? Because they can't pay them. You know, like the, the way the world works is if you're really talented, you, you typically gravitate towards people who can pay you more and who can pay you more bigger businesses. I don't, you know, it's just the way the world works. And so you get this really unusual situation where we come to a lot of companies and they say, ah, marketing doesn't work. Okay, I agree. Marketing doesn't work for you. That's correct. Now, marketing in general works, like letting more people know that you exist and finding the right customers and putting a message in front of them that, that, that would be persuasive and, and allow them to come to you and, and do business with you. That works. But for you, marketing doesn't work. Why doesn't marketing work for you? Because you've never had the talent to be able to have a, a, a messaging strategy and a distribution strategy that would get the right message in front of the right people. It's just that simple. Like, so, you know, you know, we've had people say in the past, including some of the companies we own today, we don't believe in accounting. You don't believe in accounting. What does that mean? <laughs> right? Like, well, well, the accountants are always wrong. Okay. Uh, what do you believe in? I believe in cash in the bank. Well, that actually makes a lot of sense. If you can't trust your accounting team to deliver you actionable real-time data, then what can you rely on? You can rely on cash in the bank. And so I think that there's a lot of these things that, you know, it's easy from the outside looking in for investors or people who don't are experienced in these areas to be like, oh, look at these idiot small business owners that can't do marketing and have a terrible accounting system and blah, 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 blah. And it's like such a, such a condescending view, like walk in their shoes. They have limited resources, limited time. They're trying to provide for their families. Their wife's sick. Their kids are in school. They're struggling. They're trying their best. Like they need help. Now, do they have an attitude of, of humility? Sometimes, sometimes not. Um, but all the situations, we've literally never come into a small small business and said, wow, we just can't believe you guys are doing everything right. Godspeed. That's it, right? Um, of course, there's always opportunities to learn and grow. And especially in our business, I mean, we're no different, right? I mean, we do a lot of things wrong in permanent equity. We're trying to constantly be bettering ourselves and, and, and really taking a hard look in the mirror and saying, what are we doing right? What are we doing wrong? Hmm. Um. Are there any uh, deals that, of course, you know, uh, everything sort of works out for the best outcome and there's a lot of trust involved, but are there any deals that have sort of gotten away from you that you feel like, oh man, that was really, you know, felt right or that you, uh, someone overpaid for, right? But it would, you're like, man, I really wanted that one because there was some sort of, you know, affinity towards it or just felt like the right opportunity for, for you guys. Uh, I was just wondering if you could kind of, if there are any examples that come top of mind. I mean, I, how long do you have? I mean, I could I mean, literally I have 10 examples from the last six months. Um, I mean, this yeah, what, is a constant What type of businesses battle. are they? Like, what, well, uh, I'm just like wondering work. what it looks like. I mean, some are consumer product companies. I mean, the, the, the type of company doesn't really matter. I mean, it, it's painful to see a situation where you know you could be helpful to them. You know you'd be a better long-term partner to them, and they choose somebody else. And it's always mm. because money. Like that's the, that, that's the, that's the reason. And it's usually not even, I mean, that much money in the grand scheme of things. I mean, I, I talked to, I had a seller the other day who I, I had this conversation with and, um, you know, we were going to give him a gosh, $50 million check. And, um, I mean, write him a check for $50 million. Right. And somebody else was going to write him a check for $60 million. And I was like, Hey, look, 
we can't we can't go up like we're at 50 we feel like that's where we have to be but i was like you're rich either way does it really matter if you get yeah. 50 or you get 60 and in our model he was going to be rolling forward more and there'd be more upside and he said yeah but i'm going to get a check for 60 million dollars from them it's 10 million more dollars i was like i get it but does it make it actual any difference in the world to you and the answer is no but the way the world you know yells at us mm-hmm. is of course you take 60 over 50 that's not even a question so yeah i mean those are painful experiences um i don't know i just try to give it up to the lord and, and I, you know every single deal i pray um <laughs> daily i would like to say daily it's it's usually maybe three or four days a week um that god either opens the door wide or slams the door shut and so i just got to trust that i don't know why we're not the right fit for those businesses i'm not i'm not sure why we're we weren't the chosen ones um, but I got to trust the Lord that he knows better than I do. And we weren't the right fit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how did Cap- capital camp come to be? Uh, <laughs> and especially with, uh, with Patrick O'Shaughnessy, uh, friends yeah. and co-hosts, uh, what is capital camp? How did it come to be? Um, really curious. Jeremy and I would love to, it's sort of like a life goal, make it there one day, I mean, in the next <laughs> few years. Um, but just so yeah. curious on like the origin story there. Well, first of all, you guys, you guys should come. Uh, next one's in May. Um, yeah, so I was at an event. Gosh, this is probably now five years ago. I was at an event in New York, and everyone was puffing up to one another. Everyone got blue blazers on. We're in a, we're in a hotel ballroom. <laughs> Coffee's terrible. Uh, it was like a rubber chicken lunch. People are parading on stage, and it was just a peacocking display, right? And um, no one was having any fun, and no one was supposed to have fun. This was work. Work is serious. We're real important people with serious work to do. And I just was grossed out. I mean, I don't know how else to say it. I, I, I walked out of there and I was like, first of all, I'll never go to another event like that in my life. Um, and I haven't. Um, and second of all, I was like, there has to be a better way. Like why in finance do all the events suck? I mean, they're just terrible. And so I was like, I called up Patrick, my buddy, and I was like, and, and he was an investor of ours. And I said, hey, what do you think about doing like a crazy event? Like something that we would want to attend, that we would be like joyful about attending. Like what if the food was amazing? What if the drinks were perfect? What if the setting was beautiful? What if the speakers were thoughtful and insightful and not trying to just display their own, um, you know, their own intelligence, but actually trying to help people? Like what if we created real community where people could form meaningful, deep relationships? Like what about that? And he goes, yeah, I'm in. So like, tell me what you want me to do. And so, um, we host this thing. It's called Capital Camp. And I mean, there's 2,000 people on the wait list right now for this next day. Oh it's, it's unbelievable. Um, and uh, I mean, I, I feel confident in saying this is the best event in finance. Um, we have a blast. Like we have, you know, uh, it's camp. So like it's amazing food, right? It's glamping. I shouldn't say camping. It's more like glamping. <laughs> you stay in, a, you stay in a, a decent hotel room and uh, the food's amazing. It's like James Beard Award winning chefs and um, they're incredible. And um, we have all kinds of activities like SEAL Team 6 does the security and did a whole bunch of like, you know, demonstrations. We had um, martial arts experts in. We had a guy, uh, one of the top butchers in the country come in. We've had hot air balloons, helicopters. I mean, all that. It's just it's like summer camp. It's like it's like summer camp for, for kids like or for big kids, for adults. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, people tell us that it's life changing and that they've never experienced community like that. And that, you know, we encourage everyone to dress down and um you know, not big time one another and, and honestly talk less about work. I mean, it's a work event, but like get to know one another, develop meaningful, real relationships. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like that's one of the, 
the biggest thing coming off COVID is like all these conferences are not as useful as conferences as they are just like ways to hang out and get to know people. <laughs> like that's the real value at the yep. end of the day. It's just the, the network, the friendships, the time spent with each other, uh, the experiences shared together. Um, and so I love that. I, I feel like I don't know how it existed or how I didn't know that it existed beforehand. Um, but it really feels like you guys have, you know, nailed all the right things. So just wanted to say, well oh, done. Thanks. Yeah, dude, yeah, I'm, sure. I'm on the website right now. It looks awesome. <laughs> it looks really fun. This is sweet. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of fun. It's, it's, it's like, yeah, it's, like cool. it's like having like a three day wedding in Columbia every year. Yeah. I, mean, I was going to say, it looks like, like top end. Like everything just looks, you know, done very well. Oh, it's, it's cool. amazing. I mean, it's absolutely, everything's yeah. the, I mean, world class. And we have people from 11 countries come in this last year um, in COVID. Crazy. Like it's amazing. Yeah. Um, I mean, is the, is the goal to, to make money off this or just to throw a good conference? Like what's probably all the above, but like, yeah, what's the goal of that? I guess. I mean, a part of this is like, what's the goal of permanent equity? I mean, yeah, we're 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 a private equity firm. We we want to make money, um, but but we want to show people a better way and serve people better. And Capital Camps is the same way. I mean, basically, like the only reason we can do it the way we can is because it's not in a big city because prices are lower in Missouri. And so we basically charge what everyone else charges for uh, an event. So it's not more expensive than, a, than in, you know, sort of the, the normal finance events, but it's everything's higher quality because we can dump all that money into things that we think are important and matter and like cover people with service and um, yeah, just, just try to serve people. It's really cool. Um, Jeremy, do you have any questions before I moved on to a, a different subject? No, yeah, you're good. Okay. Um, I have a, a couple of tweets that I picked out from you, so I'll rapid fire a couple of them. <laughs> sure. Um, but uh, actually, just recently, um, I thought it was really interesting. I bookmarked it, and I was like, oh, it's perfect perfect timing for, for our podcast. But um, you wrote about how true freedom comes through proper submission, and that paradoxically sort of the real slave is when you have unlimited time, resources, ability. Um, I was wondering if you could riff a little bit more on like where that thought came from and just expand a little bit on what you meant. Yeah, yeah, I mean, this is one of the things I think the, the Lord's really been working on my heart recently about is, um, you know, our culture screams at us that you gotta taste everything and try everything. And, you know, there's the bumper sticker of like, this life is meant to be, you know, crash the car in front of you, slide in sideways, do all the things, exp- you know, experience all this FOMO, you know, it's like this frenetic, um, loud achievement gain culture, right? I mean, we are, uh, you know, we are the anti-rest. <laughs> so, um, and, and look, I've experienced this in my own life. Like I, uh, I really struggle. I struggle at various times with anxiety and I would say borderline depression. And it's always because I'm striving to be something that I'm not. And it's always because I am not trusting the Lord, but I'm trying to trust in myself. And so uh, what, is, what is the most freeing thing that you can do is to follow Jesus and know that he is God and know that you are not and lay down at his feet and at the foot of the cross all your hopes and desires and frustrations and anger and lust and, I mean, all the things, right? And, and there's incredible freedom, right? I mean, for freedom I set you free, right? I mean, this, this, is, this is what we were called into. What does it look like to live a life without fear? And without judgment and without trying to build yourself up or push other people down like what does it look like to live free and i'm still learning that but but man every time i submit every time i um i'm in deep relationship which by the way deep relationship is costly like having kids is costly being married is costly um having deep friendships 
people that you really serve and that love you and you love them is costly. Costly time, financially, emotionally. Um, and so what does that look like? I mean, that's where, that's where I feel the best. I, I'm joyful. I'm self-forgetful when I'm in those relationships. When am I least self-forgetful? When am I most focused on myself is, is when I'm, um, <laughs> when, when I am uh, trying to make myself into a God, when I'm trying to live forever, when I'm trying to be remembered forever, when I'm trying to have uh, applause, when I'm seeking, you know, pleasure and distraction and all the, all the worldly things. And that doesn't mean I, you know, I don't want, I don't want to come across as like, I'm some sort of like aesthetic, you know, or like, uh, that I'm like, you know, I'm a monk or something. I mean, like, gosh, I drink great wine. Uh, <laughs> I obviously eat too much. Um, that's something I'm also trying to work on. Um, and, um, you know, I, God calls us to enjoy the good gifts he's given us. So I'm not saying that we shouldn't enjoy pleasure. We should, we should be, drink deeply this life, but drink deeply this life in submission that, that, and look up, like, like look at the bigger picture. Like in a hundred years, no one will know any of our names, period doesn't matter what we do like we're building sandcastles and so if you look at life and say hey i am um i'm gonna die i'm not immortal i'm finite i'm fragile um i want restrictions on my life that are healthy to let me live the best i can live when i lean into those restrictions when i'm eating anything that i want and as much as i want i feel like crap when i restrict what i eat i feel a lot better i don't know maybe there's something to it when I just binge on, you know, Netflix porn, right? You know, like just just keep keep going and just just keep watching the next thing and and the world screaming at me that you need more and want more. It's like I feel like crap. You know, when I sit down and I I, I read my Bible, I feel great. I, I don't know. Maybe maybe there's something to it. Um, so anyway, so that's I mean, where it came from is just my own struggles with my sin and. Um, yeah, how I'm trying to live into a better life and trying to just follow Jesus better. I don't know. I mean, I, I keep realizing that that <laughs> we, we are told how to live, not not because God doesn't want us to have good things, because he wants us to have good things. He wants us to live free. And there's freedom to be found in the design and in the limits that God's given us. And it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. It reminds me of uh, Jocko Willink's Discipline, Discipline equals, freedom. equals Freedom. Yep. Yeah. It feels mm-hmm. like a contradictory, but you know, there's, there's so much truth in there. And one thing, yeah. uh, so one of the other tweets I wrote down was what you just mentioned was how uh, in a hundred years, no one will know your name. This is something uh, Jeremy will probably laugh at me because I've just been on the, like this weird, I never thought about that before. And I feel like I found myself, like I caught myself wanting to like, building build a legacy like be someone worth remembering and i was like wait that's like really like selfish and prideful and it was just like such a weird thing to like just let go of like yeah i'm going to be completely forgotten and like i don't know my grandpa or my my great grandpa when i'm a great grandpa they're not going to know me and like that's totally okay like i don't need to be someone who's worshipped for hundreds of years or sort of remembered and you know learned from um, is that something that you've had a grasp on for a while or like, tell me about where that thought came from and just, I don't know how you wrestle with it. Yeah. I mean, don't we battle this daily? I mean, even if, even if you know it, don't you, I mean, I wake up every day thinking I'm immortal. I wake up every day wanting people to know my name and for me to be healthier and wealthier and all the, all the stuff. Right. I mean, I think that we are just, you know, we are, we are by default, going to try to make ourselves into gods 
that's just that's that's and, and by the yeah. way i think that we're made that way i think we're made in the image of god to create to bring order and 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 uh, you know to bring structure to the world and and part of bringing structure to order is that you have a reputation you have a name and so it's it's not a like it's not an anti-godly thing to say i want a good reputation i want a good name where, where it runs into the sinful territories when you say forget you god i want to be god I want to be remembered. I don't want to be a reflection of Jesus. I want to be the person who people like talk about. I think that's where it gets into danger. And, and look, every single day I wake up and I am thinking about myself. And I think that's the only thing we can do is just battle it daily. And, you know, again, go to the cross and submit. I, I, I mean, I don't want, I, it's just that simple. It's hard. It's just that simple. And so, yeah, I've been thinking about it a lot. And I, mean, I, I keep, I keep, you know, learning the same damn lessons over and over again it frustrates the heck out of me, right? I thought I'd be a lot further along than I am, um, hmm. but I'm not. So, well, I appreciate you sharing that. Um, I think we're Jeremy. Do you have how many more questions do you have? I'm sort of at the end of a lot of yeah, my questions. Yeah, I, I could but. be done. I mean, I have a couple. There's one I really want to hear his thoughts on. Um, but yeah, again, kind of bouncing around. But <clears throat> if you it. if you were to advise someone, you know, kind of in their early to mid twenties, uh, you know, let's say they're in a scenario where they're unhappy with their job, they've always been inclined towards business type stuff. They want to go out, start something, buy something. Uh, they maybe they just don't know where to begin. Uh, how would you advise that person? Yeah. Um, I, 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 I'd ask, what are you optimizing for? And that's a question I, I mean, so I get this question actually pretty often um, from people and they say, hey, I need some advice. You know, what would you recommend I do? And I say, I, I, I have no way to, to answer that without you answering the question is what are you optimizing for? And what most people say is like, you know, oh, I'm, I'm op- optimizing for happiness. Like, I don't know what that means. Like, like, what makes you happy? And, and and then what it gets down to is, you know, in, unless you know the Lord, you're typically optimizing. And even if you know the Lord, you're, you're typically optimizing for, you know, fame or pleasure or money or power. And um, and then the question is, you know, okay, well, if that's what you're optimizing for and, and that's what you want, then, you know, what is the, I mean, what's the game that's going to get you that thing? And I mean, I hate to be just utilitarian about it, but I think that most people don't look at it that way. And I think that, you know, a completely different way of leaning into that question is, well, what is, where do I feel God's called me to be? Um, what do I feel like God's calling me into? Um, and the call is real. Like the call has a caller, right? So unless you know who the caller is, you can't have a call on your life, um, you know? Uh, and so, you know, how, do, how should you think about that? I think it's, a, you know, kind of a Venn diagram of like, what do you enjoy? What bring, what's life giving to you? What is energizing to you? Um, what are you talented at? Because look, you can be you can be energized by something you're terrible at, right? Like, I mean, look, I you know I'm a I'm a short, fat, white guy. And I liked basketball for a long time. I suck at it. You know, that would not have been a good life choice. <laughs> yeah, right? Corey's core the same. Yeah, same. exactly, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Um, You know, and um, uh, you know, and then and then what does the world want from you? So, like, what are you talented at? What are you enjoying? What does the world want from you? And I think that that's where. Um, you know, you find the intersection of those things, and I think that's where God calls you to be and to be a to be a light. And um, you know, again, what does it look like to to just live into whatever God's called you to be and where He's called you to be? I mean, I think that you can't, in some ways, you can't go wrong, right? It's not, it's out of your hands. Either you're in control or He's He's in control. Either God's mm-hmm. sovereign or He's not. And so, in in many ways, I mean, I don't know what I'm going to do in ten years. 
it may be the same thing I'm doing now. Like, I don't, I don't know. I feel called to doing what I'm doing now. I also feel called to some other things. And I think that's the great adventure, right? If you're not trying to build yourself up, if you're not trying to maximize your fame or power or net worth or whatever the thing that you're, you know, you're trying to optimize for, you're just leaning into, hey, God, where do you want me to be and what do you want me to do? I'm going to try to love you and love my neighbor. I don't think you can lose. That's good. Um, well, I think I have just one more question, but I'm curious if, you know, looking back over your career so far, is there like maybe one thing that sticks out that you wish you could have done differently or uh, changed in some way? That's a great question. I mean, it's a hard question because, you know, God uses our brokenness and uses our mistakes um, and works all things out for our good and his glory, right? Which is, if you actually believe that, it's the most powerful thing. It's amazing. I mean, you talk about living a joyful life. Like, is God sovereign over my sin is a question. There's a there's an amazing uh, book, by, I think her, her name's Barbara Dugidge, called Extravagant Grace that really talks about this. It's amazing. I mean, it's an unbelievable book. It's one of, I can say, it's like a super highlighted, underlined, marginalia book for me. And the, the core argument is God's sovereign over your sin. Like, like God knows you and God stands outside of time and space. And so, um, you know, yeah, I wish I had found the Lord earlier. I, I wish that I, um, it would have been, it would have been nice to not be such a jackass in my twenties. Um, I wish I'd treated my wife better. I wish I treated her better today. Uh, I wish I was a better father. I wish, uh, I, I, I've had some, I've had some not so nice words for colleagues and I've treated people poorly and, I mean, yeah, I regret all of those things. And somehow, yet despite that, God's woven that into um, something beautiful and something that I'm grateful that I get to participate in, um, grateful for his work in other people's lives around me. So, I mean, I hate to, I'm not trying to over-spiritualize everything, but it's, I mean, honestly, it's like your belief of God's sovereignty really does impact everything around you, impact everything you do. Hmm. Yeah, that's good. Good. Yeah, Um, thanks for sharing. Getting to close here, uh, we like to ask our, our guests, you know, since this podcast is mainly focused towards young Christian, uh, ambitious guys like us, uh, if there's some sort of message or thing you would want to see from more guys like us, uh, what would your advice be? What would be sort of like the, the call to action, the, uh, the advice, the, the parting words that you would leave on sort of our generation um, or, or guys like us? Yeah, I mean, gosh, um, that's a great question. I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to really. What is the thing that I want to say to that group of people? Um, I would say um, the bi- biblical sexual ethic is something that um, I think it's easy to gloss over, and it is meant for our good. I mean, look, I, um, I haven't really talked about this publicly before, but I mean, I, I've struggled with pornography in the past and um, still feel a pull towards it today. And, you know, it's something in my marriage I've had to deal with and, and my wife's had to deal with. And I think that that's something that, um, you know, I, uh, it's, it sears your conscience. And um, I, I just think guys taking, I mean, if you look at the stats, I mean, I don't think I'm alone. You know, it, some, some people say upwards of 90% of men um, actively struggle with pornography. So nine out of 10 men who are going to be listening to this podcast, um, you know, are actively struggling with it. And I would say is, gosh, it is so much better just to, to avoid it. Don't touch that hot stove over and over again. Uh, you're going to get burned. It's going to burn you in ways that you don't realize. Um, it's going to lead to other things in your life that you just don't, um, 
that you just have it's hard to see how intertwined all of life is and you you may think that you're playing with a little toy um, and you can you can play with a toy and it's not going to affect anything and i mean look paul talks about sin as being a crouching lion um, and and you don't play with a with a lion. Um, the lion's going to eat you alive. And I think that I've seen it in my own life when 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 I have um, uh, given in temptation. And and look, you can always justify it to yourself. You know, uh, my needs aren't being met. Um, we're going through a stressful time. Like whatever the thing is, I deserve it. Um, and I would just say, man, it is a lie. That is a lie from hell. Um, get away from that. Stay stay so clear of it. Um, and then I would say the same thing about the love of money. I mean, it, those are the two things that I think in, in my life that I've uh, probably struggled the most with. And just, you know, um, it is so easy to pretend like you're not doing it for the money. I mean, I got into buying businesses purely because I wanted more money. That's it. That was my only motivation. Now, God's, I think, used that and adapted that and, again, used my sin and, and woven it into a much bigger story that I'm, that I'm so grateful for. But look, I still have days where I'm like, I'm, I'm doing this for the money. And that's wrong. It's always wrong. You cannot worship God and money. You can't worship both. So you got to choose. And and the, that that choice is a daily choice. And so I would just say is you know, God has wired us to, to live in a certain way, and He wants our good. Like He's not trying to keep money from you so that you're in pain. He's not trying to keep money from you so that you so that you you know for for your bad. It's 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 not right. He he's he will provide. Um, and. Um, you know, I'm not saying don't work hard. I'm not saying don't get paid more and don't take a promotion and don't gratefully accept, you know, whatever God's put in your life. But I would just say is, you know, you, you can't worship money and, and for God's sake, stay away from porn. Brent, super appreciate you uh, being yeah, vulnerable, you, being transparent, sharing all these stories today. Um, it's been awesome to have you. Where can people learn more about you, follow along your journey, uh, learn more about uh, permanent equity and capital camp? Um, all the places where you're online are the best ways to get in contact with you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I'm trying to actually be on Twitter a little bit less these days. Um, but, you know, I have an open DMs on Twitter. I'm at Brent B. Shore. Um, the Permanent Equity website is just permanentequity.com. Uh, Capital Camp is just capitalcamp.com. Um, I try to keep things simple. So, um, yeah, reach out if I can be helpful. I mean, I, um, you know, I will just know that we're all struggling, right? And and I think the more that we can bring honesty and transparency to the struggles, I mean, this is something where, that's why I hate Twitter. Twitter's like for celebrating wins and dunking on people, right? And <laughs> what real life is and real relationship is the exact opposite. It is rubbing our nose in our, in our failures and letting other people love on us and loving on other people. And so let's do more of that. Let's try to make, I mean, I don't know, if there's a way on Twitter to uh, start a, start a, you know, a trend, um, let's try to love people through Twitter, sub- serve people through Twitter, not serve ourselves, our egos, not get that dopamine hit, but um, just love on people. So yeah, I don't know if that's possible or it. not. But. Yeah. Let's make it happen. Awesome. Brent, thanks again so much. We're going to have the yeah. links uh, to everything in the show notes, the book mentions, as well as links to, uh, to your Twitter and website and uh, everything that's going on. But uh, thanks again. And uh, hopefully we'll have the opportunity to talk later. And we'll see you at Capital Camp one of these days. That sounds wonderful. Thank you guys so much for having me on. I appreciate it. Thank you, man.